This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show, the award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. The Norris Group proudly presents our 16th annual award-winning event, I Survived Real Estate. Industry experts join Bruce Norris to discuss evolving industry trends, real estate bubbles, inflation, and opportunities emerging for real estate professionals. All proceeds from the event benefit Make-A-Wish and St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. We want to thank our platinum partners, Inland Empire Real Estate Investment Club, San Diego Creative Investors Association, White Feather Investments, Wilson Investment Properties, U-Direct IRA Services, MVT Productions, and Realty 411 Magazine. In the interest of time, we're going to find the full bios for all of our guests on isurvivorealestate.com, but I'd like to bring up to the stage Sean O'Toole, founder and CEO of Property Radar, John Seabree, the CEO of the California Association of Realtors, and Doug Duncan, Chief Economy of Fannie Mae. Well, thank you, guys. Um, I, I'm excited to start. I, I want to ask this question because to me this is important. The ramifications of having an under 3% mortgage in place. I'd like to, you know, just give that some thought and think about uh, like a, a positive or even a negative that that has caused in the real estate market. Uh, I'll, I'll start with one. Um, I think it accelerated prices for sure. So talk about that. A huge equity position showed up very quickly. So even if you got in in 2019, Two years later, you had a 50% equity position. That's not normal. But it also builds in safety, too. So they got a mortgage rate that's nothing, and they got an equity position that normally takes a year to show up, or five years, 10 years to show up. So that's, you know, ramifications of a 3% mortgage. What, what other ramifications do you, do you think happened? Anybody? Yeah, I'll go. Um, we talk a lot about the lock-in effect that people have with that. Yeah. But I think one thing that I don't see a lot of is that now 43% of homeowners in the United States have no mortgage at all. That's right. So those folks can move. They have the ability to, they're not locked in at all. So that's for those folks in the room thinking about who to try to transact with. That's a, a good group to think about. But, uh, and on the equity piece overall, we now have 70%. If you take the whole homeownership stock, it's 70% equity. Yeah. Not 70% debt, 70% right. equity. Right. Huge, huge safety valve for all kinds of stuff. You had brought something up for the first time that I thought, wow, it's like every, everybody that owned a home got a raise, too. Yes. A big raise, because you went from whatever you had to a 25 or 3% mortgage. The net that that created was like a car to payment. I think this, the percentage of folks free and clear and the increase in income, essentially, because you have this savings and expense, 
but this increase in your you know, in, uh, disposable income that we had during this great refinance boom is, I think, why so many people have underestimated the economy. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Restaurants are so busy and yeah, the rest. Yeah, got extra dough. Well, since you live in Florida, um, I was with the Florida Association of Realtors in 07, 08, 09, and we were ground zero, you know? And so I think that's the difference that we see now when you're showing your charts and the potential for trustee sales. There's so much equity now that we didn't have in 06 and 07 and 08. And so we're not, there are buyers ready <laughs> the second someone can't pay their mortgage. We've got a need for that inventory. So that's, you know, we're not going to see a repeat of 06, 07, 08 because of that. Yeah, you're not going to have that, you're not going to have that trustee sale turn into an REO. Right. That's right. Right. Okay. Well, I, I live in Cape Coral and I just came here to figure out who is driving prices up. Now I know. <laughs> <laughs> I bucked the trend. I'm moving to California when everyone else is leaving. Right. Um, yeah, I, 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 don't, I would bet there's nobody in the room here that present, that expected to see 3% mortgages in their lifetime. Right, yeah. And that 3% mortgage was a function of policy. And the, the lock-in effect is a distortion of markets driven by policy. So, um, th and there's not really a way to reverse that. Uh, we've, now we... We did a survey, anytime, I'm a little bit like you in the sense that every time I read a headline that doesn't necessarily comport with what logic would suggest, I, uh, you know, I question it. And we have a survey function, so we're reading all the headlines about lock-in. So we actually surveyed a, a thousand people in the Fannie Mae portfolio who had bought a home in this time period. And we asked them, are you locked in by interest rates or is there some other factor at work? Um, about a quarter of people said, yes, we're, we're going to stay here because of the rate. But a bigger share said, well, the rates were important, but we were at a phase of life where we were thinking about making a change maybe a couple of years from now because of where our kids are relative to school. And COVID came along, and we needed more space. So it was actually the combination of COVID life change and that incredible opportunity from an interest rate that shifted what we view as four years of business into two years. So what, what you're feeling today is the two years of payback from that business having moved forward in time. And we would agree with you that the, uh, a lot of those people, they're the Gen Xers who never get any airtime. So we're trying to give the Gen Xers some airtime now. They're locked in, smooth move, good job. Uh, and I'm gonna suggest a bunch of them, like you said, are gonna become investors. Because they will keep that house because the mortgage payment's $1,000 less than the rent in that market. Right. They'll use that to either subsidize the mortgage wherever they go, or else uh, just take it as income. You know, if you, had, if you did end up becoming unemployed, there's a good chance you'd, you'd be able to keep your home because like you say, the rent would be more than your payment. Yep. So it seems like you'd find a way, and yep. the equity maybe you could access. Um, is there any appetite to let these loans move forward to another buyer at their current rate? <laughs> There's been a bunch of talk in the, in the press about assumable loans. The, the 
challenge there is whether you have the cash to make the difference in the price work, because they're going to, uh, whoever is the seller, may, you may be able to assume that mortgage, but there's going to be a, a cash calculation about what the value of the property is um, that you'll have to satisfy, and a lot of people may not have that cash. You know, what's interesting, you know, years ago, you didn't need to assume a loan, right? You could do subject to, mm -hmm. uh, or it was a simple assumption. I think there was a $35 check you wrote, and you just put your name in place of the other name. Is there any appetite to do, and the reason I'm mentioning is because realtors right now are making, as a collective group, 50 cents on the dollar of what they made. So you almost have to create a transaction. Well, that's why uh, when we did our budgeting for 2024, we're estimating an 8% decrease in membership, 8.3% decrease in California realtors for next year. But we do have some good, there's some light at the end of the tunnel where we're actually um, estimating home sales will increase by about 20% next year, which means the realtors who stay in the business will be making more money. So please know there is light at the end of the tunnel from our perspective. But on assumables, uh, the National Association of Realtors just had a work group on assumable mortgages, looking at every government mortgage program and others. I don't have the final results yet. They're not out yet, but we can maybe circle back on that because it's definitely a huge interest to us. There are some government agencies that don't do assumables, like the Small Business Administration, which I think could help a lot of us. Uh, but uh, most government programs have some kind of assumable function. We're just trying to get a better handle on giving Congress some direction on how they could maybe help us in that area. Okay. So but, now we have an 8% mortgage rate, right? About? I, I missed what you said. I'm sorry, we have about an 8% mortgage rate? I'm, what, yeah, some people are right there. Yeah, something like that. So I was thinking about, I was thinking about the negatives of that. First of all, um, if you're a realtor, a lot less business. But there's, there's also, let's say, I didn't get in. You know, I didn't get one of those 3 or 4% mortgage rates. I, I was not at the right stage in life. I've never owned a property. And all of a sudden, I've, I'm probably feeling I don't have a shot. That's, you know, that, that would occur to me. So I guess I'm trying to think about the mood of the, of the person that's thinking, I may never have an opportunity to do this. You know, what's, what's that doing to, it's almost like the haves and have nots. The people that have the two and the three and 4% mortgage rates and the people that are renting, but I, the rent went up like 50% in two years. I mean, you know, we had rentals and go, holy cow. Yeah, I mean, one of your charts, you know, you showed, or actually you said that when interest rates come down maybe to five and a half percent, we'll see this movement. That's what we believe is going to happen. Those of us who've been around a long time also saw on your chart that the long run average for interest rates is closer to where we are today. It's just the public doesn't know that. It's not what they're feeling. They need to see some, some interest rate relief. Um, and so I think they will start to move. But for those of us, so you did say, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with prices. But if you look at the last number of years and prices continued to go up and shocked us all, if I bought today at seven, you know, if it's seven and a half percent next month or in a couple of months, but in my, my mind, I'm thinking the value is going to continue to increase. 
So isn't that a good thing? Because wouldn't I rather buy it today and gain that equity? Why do you think that equity is going to happen? Well, that's, that's definitely, in a, that's the uncharted territory. However, we're so underbuilt in the United States that there is so much demand for the property that's there. I think it's defying all, you know, it's just what, you know, we can't predict. Obviously, we don't have a crystal ball, but if we're millions and millions of units underbuilt, that's a position we weren't in 10 years ago. That's not a position we were in 20 years ago. That is the place where we are today, and there's so much demand for this, whether it's the investor, the first-time person who's paying more in rent, like you said, who wants to own a home. I just think the demand is going to keep the demand is huge. Okay, let's go back. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not being argumentative. I'm just playing devil's advocate. That would be a lot more fun for them if we argued about something. You know? <laughs> well, what you just said, there we're millions behind. So in 2009, when prices were 60% off, were we millions ahead? I, th I think we were, so I don't, uh, we'll ask Cornelius that when he's up here because he'll probably know as the, the builder, but I think we were building, of course, I was in Florida, remember, <laughs> uh, at the time, and builders stopped building. Well, in, in 08, yes, but yeah. they built like crazy in 05 and 06. Yeah, but they had built and built and built, but then they just stopped. So when you sell your inventory, you lay off all your people, you're not building, then we end up over this 20-year period where suddenly we just haven't built. And so we don't have the inventory um, to meet the demand. And so that's why, I mean, again, we don't have a crystal ball. We can't say that prices are going to continue to increase the way they have. But I don't see them going down <laughs> because, again, there's so much demand. Whether it's the cash buyer that can buy if they have the opportunity, if someone else doesn't want it, you know, um, yeah, I, di I just don't see prices falling. Let me pick up on that uh, a little bit. If you look at just a pure demographic profile of the, of the uh, country, the, the millennial age group is about three to four years away from peak first-time home buying age. Okay. And then there's a, gr a little bit of a slide, and then the next generation, there's actually a peak at the beginning of the next group, which is about the same in terms of the number of people as the peak of the, of the millennials. So I would say for a decade, demographics are pretty strong, and then that will start to slide if we don't reform immigration, because the birth, domestic birth rate is not replacement, so eventually we'll start to see a tail off. But the, you mentioned um, in your charts, which, by the way, um, I'm stealing all of them. <laughs> just, well, you know, most, half of them are Fannie Mae's anyway, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was Mark Twain that said theft is the, uh, is, is the sincerest form of flattery. So. <laughs> uh, you mentioned the, the share of new homes uh, uh, of total home sales, yeah. which is abnormally high. Way, yeah. It's also the share of uh, first-time buyers as a percentage of new home buyers is also at a, a, a very high level relative to history. So there's, there's a lesson there about the distortions from normal patterns uh, in housing. So 
the lock-in effect, plus the fact that the boomers are doing what they said they were going to do all along, which is age in place, and they're also pretty healthy, so that's, uh, and they learned during the pandemic that if you have an iPad and a, and a connection to your doctor's office, you can get home health care, which will keep them in their house longer. So now you have the lock-in Gen Xers, you have the boomers staying in place, then the question is, where does the supply come from for those first-time buyers who typically buy existing homes and then put in sweat equity and move up? So there was a, there was a little lesson in how markets work about, um, what, two months ago was the first time, or maybe, maybe even three now, when mortgage rates passed 7%. Within a couple of days of that, the secondary market, the mortgage-backed securities market, sort of stopped. So then within a week, you started seeing lenders offering 2-1 interest rate buy-downs and builders offering to do 2% buy-downs permanent on, on your mortgage rate. So why did that happen? Because, first of all, mortgage-backed securities investors did not believe that a mortgage-backed security backed by 7% mortgages would still be there a year after the Fed re uh, finished their inflation fight and brought rates back down. So they weren't going to invest in that. So the, the builders recognized that the problem of a first-time buyer is not granite countertops and finished basements. It's a basic house they can afford from a payment size and down payment. So the buy-down of interest rates rec meant the builders recognized the problem of the first-time buyer who has become a bigger share of their business. That put the rates down to where a mortgage-backed security investor would purchase uh, an MBS backed by those loans at 5%, but not at 7%. See, what's, what's interesting about what you just said, so it seems like a lot of the first-time buyers would like new homes, but when you're building them, that that product has the, the smallest margin. Yep. So, you know, you're not putting any fluff in there. It doesn't have a pool, yep. doesn't have any of that. So your margin's tight. So when you start buying down rates, that's not cheap. Yep. That could, take, right. that could take your margin. So I guess if you're a builder, I, you know, when I get Craig up here, I'm going to ask him. But when you, when you look at your target audience, you know, we've, we're building spec houses, and we intentionally built to the cash buyer's standard, if you will. What do they want? You know, they want the pool, they want to look at water behind their house and all that. That's the house that just sold for 725 that never sold for more than 725 even two years ago. So right. that market is still healthy and a cash buyer is more likely in that, you know. So right. that's when the builder's making decisions that they go after the first time buyer in an 8% mortgage rate and they want to buy it down. You know, we looked at that. Um, I think... I think the buy down for a 700 grand house was approaching 50 grand. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's a lot of margin. On the temporary buy down, this is an honest question for Doug. Yeah, 2 1. Mind. I know it's your job to do the questions, but <laughs> <laughs> on the temporary buy downs, like the 2 1 and that kind of thing, how's that different than a pay option arm? Well, and the, the problem we got ourselves into with those in 06. Yeah, it's a relevant question, no question. Um, the. Uh, Troublemaker. Yeah, it depends on the. <laughs> well, it depends on what's required to qualify yes. for for the loan. So any of the any of the adjustables or things that have adjustable components now have to be underwritten to the uh, interest rate to which they can reset. Uh, 
Okay. So yeah. the law was actually changed. So that is on happening on the, yes. the two yeah. one buy downs. It's part of the reason you don't see as many, as much of a pickup in adjustable rate loans as you might have thought, given the pace at which uh, rates rose. Yeah. That's when, good to hear. When you buy the when you buy the rate down up front, though, that's a that's a different. Yeah. That's yeah, a different thing. Fine. It's not even connected to the transaction, actually, because you do that in advance. Right. So if you buy, let's say, I'm going to buy two million dollars of mortgages from eight to six, you write a check for 150 grand, and then you get to use that for the next transactions. But you can also pay costs if you want for that transaction. So you know you might pay a point or something that's allowable for the for the buyer, but you've already bought the right for the fixed. Now you might be able to raise your price. Right, so you could compensate and say, okay, we're not going to get 725. If we're not going to net 725, if we're paying 50 grand for, but we maybe we get 750 and eat the 20, 50 grand, you know. And now we're you want to be the only game in town, I guess. If you're if you're a seller, you go, okay, how do I set myself apart and say, okay, whoa, look at that. That's that's why I would buy that one as opposed to this one. So, okay, um, Joey, we've got a couple of minutes. One, <laughs> two. <laughs> He's so hard on me, man. I just want to. Okay. All right. Transitory. Transitory. Uh, I, I love that word. That, you know, when we were trying to see if we were going to have inflation, the you know the smartest people in the world are going yeah, transitory, and and now it's certainly turned other than that. So, what were they looking at? that they thought was going to happen that didn't happen. Um, yeah, I, when the, the Fed first used the word transitory, I, um, in speaking to audiences, I said I reached for my Oxford English Dictionary, which was next to my computer, which I assume you have yours there as well. <laughs> um, and when I looked up the first definition, it says, not permanent. <laughs> yeah. Which life is transitory, right? So what they were looking at was the ships lined up outside of Long Beach Port. So they were looking at the bottlenecks that the virus had caused in the in the the um, the uh, chain of um, the construction of goods, right. uh, goods and services. That certainly was part of that. Certainly was transitory in that it, the businesses had to adjust. To understand, first of all, what the implications of the, of the virus were, and then adjust for the safety of their workforce, uh, and that was a global issue. It wasn't just a U.S.-related uh, issue. So, the, you'll notice that there is no line of ships outside of Long Beach now. So, only part of the issue was transitory. Part of it was we're restructuring supply chains, and that's expensive and time-consuming. And so, um, you we're still seeing that effect. But we also had this massive transfer of uh, money to household budgets. Right. Essentially, the, the, it was all deficit funded, which was now why we're paying as much interest on the federal debt as we're paying through the Defense Department. Um, so th that's still working its way through the system. It, if, if you think about the, what happened with consumers, they got a, a transfer of cash from the federal government directly into their deposit account. And they used a significant portion of that to pay down credit cards, big, big decline in credit in debt. And they saved the rest. So that's two ways that they now have spending power. 
You, you liked your chart that showed they did not cash out in refi. They right. lowered payments, so yep. now they have more disposable uh, income from that perspective. You mentioned we sent them home to work from home, so they got an immediate pay raise from the fact that they no longer had the commuting cost. So you, you start to add all that up. Tremendous boost on the demand side while supply was stuck, and you got 9% inflation out of that. It's not all out of the system yet, but it's coming out, and we think that there's going to be a downturn starting probably in the first half of next year. I've run out of seconds on this. Uh, well, we'll, get to, we'll get to that on the next phase, but yeah, I'm really interested to see when you think a recession is going to occur, and then also the reaction of the interest rates. One of the things that's really interesting is the spread between the mortgage rate and the 10 year is a lot bigger than normal. Well, well, why is that right now? Who's going to replace the Fed? The Fed's the single biggest mortgage-backed security holder in the world. They own 21% of all MBS. All the banks and depositories together own 29. Okay. But the Fed is no longer buying, and they're letting the portfolio run off. So one of the questions in the, in the market is who replaces them? Because they were not a returns buyer. They were a policy buyer. Right. And they intended to remove, remove the volatility. Now they're letting volatility back into the market, so the spread has widened out. You think that'll correct? Or Over time it will, once okay. the market figures out who's, who's going to be who's the, the, new buyer? And the new buyer. You think the Fed will step back in? Uh, I'd, not under Powell's administration. He never liked that from okay. the beginning. So, and they have a stated policy position of eliminating the portfolio. Eliminating all yes. of that? Of the MBS portfolio, right. going back purely to treasuries. But you're saying that represents 23% of all existing mortgages? Of all MBS. And they want to bring that to zero? Correct. Wow. But they're not going to sell. They're just letting it amortize. So it will take a while. Oh, yeah. Because their average coupon's around 4%. Okay. All right. I guess we'll take a, take yes. a break. Okay. Let's take a dessert break for 20 minutes, and then we'll come back oh. for two more panels. <laughs> that was Thank fun. you. See iSurvivedRealEstate.com for event details, information on all our generous sponsors, and to connect with our speakers. We'd also like to thank our gold sponsors, Chase Leland Photography, Fairtrade Real Estate, Inland Valley Association of Realtors, Keystone CPA, Lavis Tax Wealth Management, NorCal REA, NSDREI, Pasadena Phoebe, Property Radar, The Outspoken Investor, Tony Alvarez, White House Catering, Windermere Tower Realty, Rick and Leanne Rossiter. See iSurvivedRealEstate.com for event details. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 0121991, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, 
and NMLS license 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab.